Welcome back to Ridiculous Entertainment. My name is Tim, your host. Thank you once again for joining us as we embark on a journey going through the adventures of Miss Lyra in His Dark Materials Season 1, Episode 3. Now, before we get into that, a few housekeeping things up top. First, I, I'm quite sick. I would have done this episode yesterday, but uh, I'm not feeling well, so I'm going to sound a little nasally. I'm going to cough quite a bit. There's going to be a billion edit points, so just listener beware. Uh, also, I want to throw a big shout out to Derek Wilder for favoriting us. Thanks a lot, man. I, I appreciate that. He's on He's on the Anchor platform. Also, Hyattsville, Maryland retains the belt as for the most downloaded city. In fact, Hyattsville, Maryland downloads our podcast at a rate of 64% of the total downloads. So thank you very much, Hyattsville, Maryland. Now, the platforms we're on still haven't changed since last time. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Casts, and Anchor, and Stitcher. Almost forgot about Stitcher. I'm trying to get on iHeartRadio and Spotify, but Spotify is being a little bit of a pain in the ass because I started this journey on SoundCloud. There's some sort of rift between SoundCloud and Spotify, and Ridiculous Entertainment is caught in the middle. Well, that's that. Now let's get on to the show. This episode begins with uh, Lyra. She was got by the gobblers. I kind of thought that she was just kind of nabbed by the Egyptians. They saw her from behind and didn't want her to scream, so they, they grabbed her, covered her mouth. But no, it's the gobblers. Makes sense. But take, the gobblers are taking Lyra to their home base, and the Egyptians do come out of nowhere to save the day. But as they do, we see a few things, you know, we see their demons, and it makes me think. makes me think about the demons. The forms that we've seen, we've seen a lot of birds, some dogs, and some varmints. Now, oh, I wonder, are there demons that are larger animals? Say wild animals in the vein of an elephant? Maybe a giraffe? What about animals that are specific to water? If you get a barracuda, do you have to stay within an arm's reach of an aquarium? Just curiosities that I have because it seems like only a handful of animals make the cut. Now, I also think maybe maybe the animals are like goldfish. You know, they will grow to the size of the aquarium. So maybe if you're a wealthy person, you get a larger demon. Or maybe if you go through school and you've chosen a profession, then your demon settles on an animal that's specific to that profession. For example, the Magisterium people tend to have serpents. Maybe just the one guy does or lizards. But the Magisterium guard, they tend to have dogs. And uh, a lot of the the Egyptians have birds. So just wondering if there is a process for deciding upon these and what occupation do you have to have to get an elephant. But the Egyptians arrive, they get Lyra out of the van and they kick the shit out of the gobblers and they take them back to floating Egyptian village and then the credits roll and the only reason I mentioned the credits rolling is the music is fantastic and the the credit scenes are, are very good I think they're trying to evoke like Game of Thrones you know half the fun of Game of Thrones was watching the credit scenes the pre-roll and all that and then they changed it in season 7 it was terrible and everyone hates that season not necessarily for that reason but it's up there for me now we get out of the credits we go to Jordan College at Jordan College Miss Coulter is raising hell she's got a battalion of Magisterium guards and the Magisterium guards they're Nazis I mean we'll just call it like it is. They're Nazis. And the Nazis specifically have demons that are, are dogs. Now, again, I wonder, is it a chicken or egg scenario? Is it a job requirement that the Nazis have to have dog demons? Or do people decide to be Nazis and then their demons land on dogs? So Miss Coulter, she goes in and she's hassling the master. Well, the master kind of gives her everything that she could ever want, but she's hassling the master. And the word alethiometer comes up. Alethiometer. And she seems to be having trouble with the word alethiometer. She's like spelling it out phonetically, like super slowly. She's an educated woman. She said it 10 seconds earlier too and didn't have trouble with it, but she's like, olithiometer. Just a little odd. Just a little bit odd. So the master, I kind of get this feeling about the master that he's incompetent. I mean, first off, he gives Lyra to Miss Coulter. And there's probably a fact that he knows that makes him think that this is okay, but he has knowledge of Mrs. Coulter's character and that she's a villain. I mean, yes, I was on her side for a short while, but I mean, she's a villain. And the master of Jordan College shouldn't be a dipshit, but it appears that he's kind of a dipshit. Also, a 
upon interrogation, he just tells Miss Coulter everything. Like, he didn't oppose at all. He didn't try to help Lyra. He just rolled over the second she started to talk. And also, earlier on this season, uh, he tried to kill Azriel, and he couldn't even get that right. It's not that hard to kill people, especially in a place where there's no security. He's a failure and an incompetent moron. Now we go back to the Egyptians, and uh, she's talking to Ma Costa. Ma Costa's interrogating them about where they were or how Tony, Tony Costa, the, the boy who found her, has found her. Uh, Fata Quorum comes in. Fata Quorum's like, hey, I'm gonna talk to you. And Fata Quorum and the king are telling her some other shit. And through this introduction period, I have found one thing interesting. It's in this society, adults are introduced by either Fa or Ma, and then their surname. So it just makes me wonder, what happens when you get millennial Egyptian? Millennials are prone to not get married or have children young in life. So what happens if you get a shitload of millennial Egyptians running around and they're all adults? What are you supposed to call these people? First name only? Doesn't seem Egyptian. Doesn't seem Egyptian. You really, you could wind up with a real Han Solo situation. If you're not familiar with that reference, don't go watch Solo because it's terrible. But he could have very easily wound up being called Han by himself or Han has no friends. After the Egyptians are done talking to Lyra, we go to the Magisterium. Mr. Creepy and a Lizard Man are having a conversation about Lyra, about Miss Coulter's raid on Jordan College. Basically, Mr. Lizard Man is unhappy. Mr. Creepy is just bending over backwards. And Mr. Lizard Man's like, you know what? It's cool because we know where Lyra is. Now, I've touched on this, but it, I think that it's odd that all members of the Magisterium look like lizard people. They've all got greasy skin, oily hair, and, and just very angular faces. And they're all men, except for Miss Coulter. Typically have dark hair. Other than Miss Coulter and Mr. Creepy, there is a lot of people that are just super gross and they're just unfortunate fucks. It makes me wonder if they took a vow of celibacy or if it was forced upon them by the opposite sex. Now we go back to the Egyptians and Lyra's going through Egyptian shit. She's like, Egyptians, I'm one of you now. Let me go through your shit. So she, she's going through some Egyptian clothes. She's like, I need to put some Egyptian clothes on now. And you know, you see these rags they're throwing around and Egyptians dress like shit. I mean, really, you see Miss Coulter, she's got silk on, dressed to the nines. Like she's going to a party at fucking 9 a.m. every single day. And it's just, no one's getting fucked dressed like Egyptian, you know? No one's getting all hot and bothered seeing some chick in some overalls or a flannel shirt. No one's getting fucked dressed like Egyptian. Now, for a minute, we're, we're back with Mr. Creepy. Mr. Creepy, he's doing his thing. He's going back to the other world. Our world. Our great world. You know, you know what's great about our world? If you leave a car unattended on the street, typically they tell you, but sometimes they'll throw a boot on it. And you know what happens? Mr. Creepy's car gets booted. And that's exactly what he deserves. The Nazi prick. Now we're back with Egyptian. Back and forth, back and forth. There's a lot of bouncing around in this show. Sometimes it's hard to follow unless you take incredibly detailed notes, which I had to do. So Lyra is having a talk with Lord Commander Mormon, and it's odd that he can hear her demon. Maybe it's not odd. Maybe I should have assumed it. I kind of thought the demon was there to vocalize her inner monologue, but apparently other people can hear your demon. We never hear anybody else's except for Pan, but uh, apparently Fata Quorum can hear the demon. So that kind of settles one thought that I had brought up in earlier episodes. So now we go back to Mr. Creepy. Mr. Mr. Creepy's talking to his, I guess it's kind of his intelligence officer, the guy who goes and finds the shit, gives it to Mr. Creepy. They're talking at each other back and forth, back and forth, and finally he tells Mr. Creepy, the guy, the explorer that he's been hunting, is really from our awesome world, the one with the cool technology. Mr. Creepy's like, you're full of shit. He's got a demon right there. And the guy's like, meh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just a bird. You ever think of that? Maybe he's into falconry. Maybe he brought a falcon with him. Mr. Creepy leaves the house, and he, he starts firing off texts, and I kind of think it's a booty call. Be perfect for uh, a struggling marriage. You start banging some chicks 
taken another dimension because there's literally no evidence except for the stank on your dick, the stank of Poonan on your hang low. So we're back with Egyptians and there's not a lot here except for I just kind of think that HBO is fucking up the demons. In this scene we have Lyra, Lord Commander Mormont, and Secret Agent Man and none of them have visible demons. And most of the time yes we are looking at them waist up but there is a particular shot that occurs where you see head to toe. No demons so and I'm not the first one to notice this people have been calling it out since the first episode. I'm just the one who's saying it now because that was a really blatant scene and there's quite a few. Now those three are, are interrupted by the Magisterium. The Magisterium has come to search for Lyra and what do we get when we get the Magisterium? You guessed it more Nazis with dogs. Now I, I do think this world is interesting and I'm sure it's similar to how it used to be in Europe uh, with the church running things like it did having the power that it commanded but in this universe the Magisterium is essentially a church and it runs the legal system. It runs the law enforcement agencies. Pretty much runs everything except for the schools. Now we cut to Miss Coulter. She's gotten word that the Magisterium police did not find Lyra. So it's causing her a little bit of distress. She starts ripping up blankets and pillows and feathers go everywhere and she she's just really inconsiderate sometimes because she's not going to clean that up. She's not she's not going to clean that up. I mean she is leaving that for her maids 100% or her dude cleaners whatever a dude cleaner is called. Are they called maids? It's kind of a gendered term. I, I guess I don't really know what to call a dude cleaner. He's just a cleaning dude. Regardless she is just going to leave that shit on the ground for some poor schmuck to clean up. Now we go back to the Egyptians and this isn't really a funny scene because it's Lyra running away from La Costa and it's just an important plot scene because we learn that first off Miss Coulter is Lyra's mother. Duh. No shit. We all kind of knew that. I kind of knew that. Uh, if I didn't remember that from before if it wasn't brought up in the Golden Compass uh, I just had a real strong feeling and uh, also we learn the backstory behind why Lord Asriel didn't have custody as her father and why Miss Coulter didn't have custody as her mother uh, and what she was doing at the college. So it's a very interesting scene and, and what her ties to the Egyptians were which was that Ma Costa watched over Lyra while she was young. We go to Miss Coulter and she is uh, she's kind of losing it. She's losing a little bit of control here. Uh, so she's playing on a ledge, drinking a little wine, getting a little tipsy, getting a little tipsy, and uh, she almost eats shit falling down the ledge. And that would inspire most people to get off said ledge. But she continues to fuck around. She continues to just monkey about on the ledge. Now, for a person who has a monkey for a demon, she doesn't have the best of balance. She's not incredibly coordinated. Uh, maybe I'm just referencing times in which she's been intoxicated, but still. Miss Coulter, get off the ledge. Miss Coulter, do everybody a favor. Sit down in the chair. Do what you gotta do five feet away from the ledge. She opens up a box, out flies some mechanical bugs, and we're like, okay, what the fuck's that thing? That doesn't, I don't know what that is. So we leave Miss Coulter, we go to Mr. Creepy, and Mr. Creepy asks a man, not a booty call, it wasn't a booty call, it was like some spy guy. Mr. Creepy asks a spy guy to go and watch a family related to the explorer he is hunting. Not very interesting, but also we get a good look at the picture of the kid, and I don't know if we're supposed to recognize him or just remember the face, uh, but we see him, and he looks like a happy little schmuck. So now we're back with Egyptians, and the Egyptians are having some kind of city hall. They're having a disagreement about what to do. And like at any city hall, there are the people in the front, in the foreground, having a conversation, back and forth words. Words that correspond with the one said before them. The people in the back are shouting like animals. And in this scene, it sounds like there are several voices, but one really loud one. And he seems to change his opinion every five minutes. Sometimes he's shouting in favor of Lyra. Sometimes he's trying to lynch her. Sometimes he wants to go home. You know, he seems 
seems really confused. Now we're listening to this and Egyptians, they don't really talk like people do. It's pretty apparent. You know, they, they say things old Englishy with a little bit of urban tossed in. But the king's speech is a little odd. First off, he's like, shut up. Too many questions. Like he just wants blind leadership. He just wants them to listen to him because he's the king. He wears the big king's pants so they have to do what he says. And then he says, I'm asking you to put yourselves at risk for Lyra, for the children we have lost, but mostly for yourselves. <laughs> it's an interesting order. You would think that, you know, maybe the kids you lost would take precedence over your selfish demeanor. You're all aged, haggard, mostly men. Uh, I'm, I guess it's just not a very motivational speech. So King, uh, I give you an F for execution, but an A for results because they're all on your side. So yay. So the meeting ends, everyone goes to sleep and uh, Lyra's up fucking around with the alethiometer and she hears Tony kind of creeping around. She says, hey, get the fuck over here, Tony. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, me and Secret Agent Man, we're going to go to Miss Coulter's. And she's like, okay, bye. And so they leave. And so she kind of just goes back to her thing. She's, she's playing around with the alethiometer and something happens. A spark. Something moves on the device. And she's talking to Pan and Pan throws a dig at her about how she's kind of a dipshit. It's like, bro, you're not aware of how your universe operates apparently because that's your head. That's your brain. You share a brain. You are one. You throw on a dig at her, it's throwing a dig at yourself. Or I'm misinterpreting the universe. But that's how I that's how I see it. So Tony and Secret Agent Man go to Miss Coulter. So that conversation they have with Lyra before they go is kind of pivotal because Lyra fails them. And it's not in a funny way. She just fails them in an intelligence way. Like she should have given them information that would have helped directly from the beginning of their mission. So what does she know about Miss Coulter? Well, a lot. But probably the most pertinent is that she has a monkey demon. It is not tethered to her in the way that other demons are. And it uses the vents to get around. Well, immediately upon entering Miss Coulter's apartment, they hear a noise bumbling in the ventilation system. So if she had told them this fact, they could have gotten into the elevator and left promptly, meaning that she is directly responsible for Secret Agent Man's death. Spoiler alert. So after they get into the flat, into the apartment, they hear the noise from above, go down the hallway, approach the door where the shit is that they want. Tony is given a knife to enter the study because the study's locked, obviously. Must be a magical knife. It's a pretty thick knife. It's like a regular standard hunting knife maybe K-Bar. Uh, there's no way that any door that I've ever seen could be jimmied open with a hunting knife. Now, you may be able to use a hunting knife to pry said door open, but not to jimmy it open in a gentle fashion in which you leave there with no trace. It didn't sound like they busted through the door jam. So so they get through the door with the giant knife somehow, and they're rifling through Miss Coulter's things, and the vent cover pops open, and who's there? It's the fucking monkey. Everybody knew it. The whole time, it's the fucking monkey. Well, the monkey jumps down, spooks the boys. Uh, secret agent man gets a head start, runs out into the hallway first. Tony kind of gets treed in Lyra's old room, and but he's smart, goes to the window, hops out, and crawls on the ledge. Secret agent man is then pursued calmly by Miss Coulter, and Miss Coulter has a giant handgun. In our world, I would liken it to a Taurus Raging Bull. 454 Casul. Uh, just so sexy. Sexy woman, sexy gun, uh, A+. Plus. A plus for sheer sexiness. So she pops him, he's on the ground, there's a tussle, and uh, he winds up on his back, and she jumps on him and begins attacking. Now, her attack is a little bit slap-happy. It's kind of just just, well, that's all it is. It's just real limp-wristed slaps. And it might be that her and her monkey are using the same moves and thus making it difficult for both of them to move. But if I'm a secret agent man and I have some knowledge of combat, which I think that he does, he has knowledge of interrogation techniques, I would be able to kick her ass. She would have had me. I'm fat, you know? But secret agent man probably should have been able to kick her ass. I haven't mentioned this thus far because it's not worth mentioning that Secret Agent Man is an African-American. I only mention it now because she calls him 
boy. Now, I don't know if it's because he's youthful or because she's a racist, but this might be a development. This culture might be a racist, which would add another development to her Nazi ass. Not only does she hate kids, murder kids, do terrible things to people, hold little kids prisoners, beat them up, but she's also a racist. Who would have thought? Now, Secret Agent Man somehow gets loose. He's like, fuck you, I won't let you interrogate me. Jumps into the elevator shaft and dies. And we see, we go back to the demon and the demon turns to dust. Not the stuff on the shelves dust, but space dust that flows into the air and is sparked. So that, that's very interesting. Uh, I think I've mentioned that before, that we saw that in the Golden Compass, but uh, this is, I believe, the first time we've seen it on this show. So we're back with Egyptians and Ma Costa's going nuts because her kid's missing. She's not blaming Lyra. She, she's kind of blaming Lord Commander Mormon and the king, but she's not blaming Lyra. I'd blame the shit out of Lyra. Unless Lyra has lied and not revealed the truth of that the events that happened, she is directly responsible for those kids leaving, not having enough intel, and one of them dying. Not only did she just not do anything, she, she actually helped them. She gave them knowledge to go on their quest, just not the right knowledge. They could have rifled through rooms or snuck through rooms. She just didn't mention the sneaky little monkey. So Lyra's playing around on the alethiometer and the pictures aren't really clear you know I think I see a bong at one point they're far less clear than the movie and the visions aren't clear at all in that she doesn't have them you know she kind of frames a question with the three pictures and then it just goes to a spot on the dial and this one's easy it's death it's a, it's a skull on an hourglass but what happens when it's more of an abstract answer are we the audience going to have to be explained verbally by Lyra what she has deduced from the alethiometer or are they going to go the golden compass route and show vivid imagery in her head. It'll be interesting to see how that happens. Now, Lyra has a little bit of back and forth with Lord Commander Mormon in this episode. And I gotta say, I, I like his acting better in this one than I have in the past. You know, the Kings is still shitty. Uh, but generally speaking, I've kind of been down on the Egyptian acting. It's pretty good in this one, on the whole. You know, other than the King and a few odds and ends. I guess it's just Lord Commander Mormon. He, he gets a few more lines. Some of the things he says, you're still like, eh. But also, it might be the writing. The way these Egyptians have to talk, who can deliver that those lines confidently, proudly, without question. So we get a spy fly. Those those mechanical bugs that Miss Coulter let fly, we, we find out they were spy flies. There's a little bit of exposition and we find out that there's a bad spirit inserted into this mechanical beast. And it just, I wonder who does the attaching of the bad spirit to the mechanical being. Also, is that same person who's more of a mechanically inclined person, the arbiter of who has a bad spirit or not? Are these spirits human spirits? Because this is just kind of turning into a religious exercise. Maybe they're all very old. Uh, more questions that we'll get answered. But we do learn the Egyptians are going north. And the final scene of the episode, Miss Coulter is meeting with the creepy guy, Mr. Creepy. And man, this guy's fly. Like, he's badass. He's got this blue suit on. Shit's dope. Like, that's a good-looking suit. They're having a conversation. He's basically giving her some shit. And in through the window comes the spy fly that was not captured by Lyra and Lord Commander. It rests in her palm, and she knows where they are. So that's pretty much it for this episode. You know, it was probably my least favorite of the show so far, but it's still, it was okay. You know, it's still a really good show. Uh, there just wasn't a lot going on for the majority of it. You know, it's just integrating Lyra into a setting for the third time. So we, we hope that the fourth setting that she's going to get integrated into in the next episode, it's a little bit more of a steady one, and we get some more interesting characters, because Egyptians aren't very interesting. It's only fun to mock 
them. So what do you think of the, the show so far? You know, we got a decent sample size. Are you a fan of Lyra? Are you a fan of Miss Coulter? Which side do you stand on? Are you pro-magisterium? Are you pro-Egyptian? Just know that one side makes you a racist. Whatever you decide is fine. Know that the world judges you. But you can comment below or hit me at Twitter uh, at RidicPod, R-I-D-I-C-P-O-D. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd really love to hear from you guys. So and please don't forget to like, subscribe, bell icon, review, share, or whatever is applicable to the platform in which you're listening to this on. And uh, tell a friend. You know, any friend that you have, even if you have no friends, just put it out there into the universe. Share it on Twitter or on Facebook. And if you have zero friends, that's okay. Just the fact that you've done it makes me appreciate you guys. So that being said, uh, this has been Ridiculous Entertainment.